Welcome to Puzzling It Out, Thoughts and Perspectives from a Clinical Psychologist. Hello, my name is Dr. Gail Lewis, a clinical psychologist practicing on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, and your podcast host. For today's podcast, I'm going to talk about irreconcilable differences. Now, typically, when you hear the term irreconcilable differences, most people's associations are to divorce, given that that is one reason that couples often state for wanting to go forward with having a divorce, because the reasons for which they are staying together are no longer compatible with maintaining the kind of union that they would want to have going forward. That's simply put. But the adjective irreconcilable, according to dictionary.com, is as follows. Incapable of being brought into harmony or adjustment, incompatible, incapable of being made to acquiesce or compromise, implacably opposed. As an example, they give irreconcilable enemies. Implacably opposed, incapable of being made to acquiesce or compromise. So for me to go forward in exploring the idea of irreconcilable differences, I think it's important to understand that for differences to be worked through by two different parties, a compromise needs to be made. And what is a compromise? And I always thought I knew the definition of what a compromise is, and I'm not looking it up online right now, but I'm referring to training that I had years ago in mediation. And it was actually, it was training to be a divorce mediator. And what I learned was compromise means having to give up something, to give up something that you want. And that's something that we all have to do, whether it's relational, whether it's internal. When we have a conflict about something, which usually is about wanting two different things that seem very disparate from each other, and they're not compatible, or our lives or our situation is not optimal for us to have both of those things that we want, we have to choose one. And that means making a compromise. That means having to give up one of the choices that you had. That means having to acquiesce to the consequences of giving up one of the things that you want, the consequences of choosing the other thing that you wanted. Um, and so when you're dealing with irreconcilable differences, typically dealing with a matter between two or more people, in order for that to have resolution, a compromise needs to be made. But within the definition of irreconcilable, compromises can't be made. It just means that it is 
firm in its opposition. It is unchangeable. It is incapable of compromise to be applied to the situation. It means that the parties involved can come to an agreement. So why am I talking about this right now? Um, it recently became aware to me that uh, someone that I know was told that her brother and sister-in-law feel that their relationship is such that the differences are irreconcilable. Um, from the brother and sister-in-law as a duo towards the sister who is the single opposite person in this situation. And the person who told this to me was very upset and very pained that this piece of information was conveyed, believing that despite the challenges that were going on for a long time in this triad, she felt that perhaps at some point there would be a position of rapprochement where they could come together and move forward and not be bound by this now new term of irreconcilable differences. And in hearing this, it, it made me think about what we're dealing with right now in our world. And most immediate to mind right now, because I just spoke to somebody about this, is the challenge that many parents are having at the moment in making a determination as to whether or not they want their children to have in-person learning or to continue by remote learning or to have a hybrid of the two. And the best word that I can use to describe this place in which many parents are finding themselves right now is agonizing. If those of you who are listening are news watchers, um, even if you're getting your news from social media, many of you then know that last week in Georgia, schools opened for in-person teaching. And there was a student who filmed and took pictures of the hallway scene at her school. And in the, in the photo that was, is being passed around online, you see a very crowded hallway with students um, back to back with each other, face to face with each other, not wearing masks, by no means having any kind of social distance or looks like any kind of distance between them. 
and not only was the student suspended for taking the picture and filming this and making it widely published, um, she's getting death threats for having done so, and many of the students who were in that environment were soon after diagnosed with the coronavirus. This is the very thing that parents who are in the throes of having to decide, many of whom had to decide by last week, if it was an option for in-person teaching, uh, which many school districts are not even making that an option, but even if that was an option, parents are having to make this decision as to whether or not they want their children to be back in a school environment. After we've been told for months that children cannot contract the coronavirus, which has now proven to be untrue, um, and that children cannot show symptoms of having the coronavirus, which as of yesterday, I'm sure the numbers have changed since, 100,000 children were diagnosed with the coronavirus and were symptomatic. So with having to contend with the possibility of a child going back to school, potentially catching this virus, coming home with it to a home of other human beings, who therefore could then contract the virus themselves. These people may or may not be immunocompromised. They may know people who are immunocompromised. They may have um, other family members living in their home who are immunocompromised, who are elderly, who are in the most um, susceptible grouping of people to get the most sick. How does a parent make that decision to put a child back in school? Well, then there's the issue of children need to be socialized. Children need to be around their peers. The kind of teaching that's being done via Zoom is not in any way matching the quality of learning that is gotten in an in-person classroom setting. It is the best that teachers and students can do, but class classes are far shorter. Um, children are complaining about having headaches from staring at a screen. They're not getting the kind of structure that while children may not necessarily like is necessarily important in a school teaching environment and while they might not like it in the moment as young adults and growing adults they come to internalize how meaningful and how important it is to have had that kind of structure so parents are now choosing between whether or not to put their kids in an in-person setting, which has its benefits and obviously its risks, as does remote learning. And for many parents, this feels like 
an irreconcilable decision to make, that there is no compromise. Um, there is no there is no decision to make that feels like it's the right decision, that feels like a decision that one can live with. And that's what compromise affords us, is it affords us to be in a place of decision that is tolerable to live with, in which the consequences of having made that compromise are livable and are manageable and can be internalized and morphed into a lifestyle trajectory that is workable and doable. And thus far, none of the decisions that are being, or options that are being offered to parents feel as if they are capable of, of resulting in a situation that is compatible with one's sense of safety and normalcy and trying to provide the best kind of environment for one's child. In addition, Another example, which unfortunately has become politicized, um, which many people feel is not a political statement, um, is the issue of wearing masks. I live in New York. When this pandemic was at a state where, in our state, it was the epicenter of, of the virus transmission. Our governor decided to pass a law that if you were going to be in contact with another human being and could not safely social distance, which at that time, it was thought to be six feet, I still believe that people operate with the idea that six feet is adequate, but subsequent scientific studies have shown that, for example, if one were to sneeze and there was a six-foot distance between yourself and another person, that the spray from one's sneeze extends much further than six feet. So put that aside for one second. At the time this law was passed, Governor Cuomo said, if you cannot be within six feet of, one, of another person, you must wear a mask. And it is believed that the numbers have gone down so significantly in my state because people were wearing masks and or they were satisfactorily social distancing and not leaving their homes for anything other than essentials. Right now, however, if you walk in the streets of New York or perhaps in the lobby of your building, perhaps in the lobby of my building, 
you will see people not wearing masks. You will see people not wearing masks because they have the mask down below their chin because they're sipping on a drink. But the people about whom I'm referring are not wearing masks by actually not having a mask anywhere near their face, by having it not covering their nose but maybe covering their mouth, by having it look like a scarf on their neck, and just walking about while other people are walking down the street who are wearing masks. And this has caused, as many of you might know, a lot of upheaval. I'm sure you can see online, on YouTube videos, several situations in which fights have ensued as a result of someone wearing a mask or someone being an employee in a store in which masks are required, calling out a customer who is not wearing a mask and customers exploding into what I can liken to be an adult temper tantrum, claiming this is my personal right over my body, this is communism, this is, um, this is no one's right to tell me what I can do and what I should do, masks aren't doing anything anyway, and I'm sure many of you can add to the list of complaints people make for having to wear a mask. And the point of wearing a mask, at least what we're told, and I believe this very strongly, is to protect other people. Not to protect ourselves, but to protect other people. To be, to show concern and empathy that your behavior affects other people to be mindful that what you do is not just about you, but it is about the people around you. I'm a very compassionate person. I think I am a compassionate person apart from it, compassion being one of those things that is inherently um, necessary or inherently just a job requirement, I suppose, of being a psychologist. And I'm saying this because I feel people's pain. I am privileged to be able to hear people's suffering and people's vulnerability and to be allowed into the innermost sanctums of people's emotional and mental worlds. And I, I feel for people and I, I, I have concern and I have empathy for other people. So while I don't always behave in this way, um, I do my very best to be mindful that my actions, if they impinge upon somebody else, it is done without malice, without intentional meanness, without any attempt to harm. 
And if I find, in fact, that I've had that effect on somebody, either by my own recognition or by it being pointed out to me, I do what I can to take responsibility, to make amends, to apologize, etc., etc. And it would seem that the people who have decided to not wear masks are making a statement of, I don't care how my behavior affects other people. Um, I will not be told what to do with my body. And to that end, I'm, I'm becoming aware that many people who are not wearing masks are likening and analogizing the experience to the affront that women feel when they are being told how to manage their own bodies if they are pregnant and making a decision between carrying their pregnancy to term or terminating their pregnancy. That those, those women feel they have a right to make a decision about their own body. And the people who are not wearing masks are likening their rejection of wearing masks to the same argument that a pregnant woman is making about the ownership she has over her body. Now, while some people will disagree with me on this, but I am, I am somebody who is pro-choice. I don't think that that would strike anybody who knows me as being a surprise. But for somebody to say that they're not wearing a mask because they have ownership over their body and no one can tell them what to do with their body, just the same way no one can tell a pregnant woman what to do with her pregnancy. They're making a comparison that is faulty. People wear masks to protect another human being. A woman deciding whether or not to carry a pregnancy to term or to terminate, her decision is about her own body and about what she wants to do with her body. And the disagreement that will come is that from a pro-life point of view, that her decision is affecting another life the life that is growing inside of her. I'm not going to go into a whole discussion about when life begins. That might be, though probably not. It won't be for another podcast. I'm sure if anybody is interested in having that kind of discussion, there are plenty of resources to be found to have that kind of discussion. But a pregnant woman's decision is about herself. Someone who's not wearing a mask is making a decision about him or herself as well. Though the decision really is about whether or not they care how they affect another human being. 
when I consider this, the way it's being played out right now in our, in our society is to be in a reconcilable difference of opinion. It has become an opinion and it's not an opinion. It has been shown that and New York State, I believe is a good example of that, that if you wear masks, if you social distance, if you safely stay away from other people, disease transmission of this virus lessens. And if you don't wear masks, like for example, if you go to a rally where you might need to sign something to say that if you get this virus, you're not gonna sue and that masks are not required. And if you go to this rally and subsequently get the virus, that's evidentiary of virus transmission through being in close proximity to other people not wearing masks. But again, people are making this an opinion. They're making it a political statement. And as such, it has become one of those irreconcilable issues that unfortunately is costing many lives. And finally, I'm going to address the issue of irreconcilable differences when it comes to our government. Now, I have been told that in my position as a psychologist, in my position as making the space of my practice as neutral as possible, I should not be making political statements. And I understand that. I do the best to keep my space in my practice as clean as possible from my opinions, from my story, from my experiences. So I'm not going to make a political statement of taking one political stance over another. I'm going to say that we have a government right now where the three branches and within each branch there is perpetual disagreement. There is ongoing disharmony within the branches, between branches, and it seems as if the notion of compromise is one in which many of these people feel should they make compromise will therefore mm, reflect badly on the potential of them maintaining their job and will reflect badly on the potential for them to be reelected. While in fact our government 
is meant to be there to look out for its constituents. All of us. It's meant to look out for the well-being of our living situation, our financial situation, our health situation. It is meant to be a governing body to take care of us. And we put our faith in our government and we elect officials in our government with the hope and the beliefs that they will do that. But when differences are so strong between all of those involved in contributing to that caretaking, decision-making process, when all of those are in involved are unwilling for self-centered reasons to make compromises in order to protect us and take care of us and do what they were hired by us to do. We are therefore in a situation of having to, to contend with, sitting with what seems to be irreconcilable at a place where compromise is demanded and necessary in order for us as a society to feel safe, to feel like we're mobilized, to feel like we're being heard, to feel like our needs are being met, and to feel like we're being paid attention to in the way that we all expect. So what do we do when it seems as if our cries for help and our need for help, which right now seems to be louder and more severe than it's ever been before, feels as if they're not being heard, feels as if we're not being addressed, what do we do? How do we deal with that? How do you deal with that feeling of, of helplessness? People who are wearing masks, who see people not wearing masks on the street are yelling at them. Sometimes to shame them. Sometimes because people think that if they yell, it will affect change. <clears throat> it's like when a child is asked to do something by a parent and the child refuses. Over and over again, the child refuses. So what happens? The parent starts getting louder and louder in their demands on their kid. And then they start yelling. Unconsciously believing, if I get louder, my kid's going to listen to me. How many of you parents out there feel like that actually works? It doesn't. But we think that the louder and the louder we get, it's going to affect change. I'm not suggesting that we stop yelling. I'm not suggesting that we stop demanding that our needs be 
addressed, demanding that what seems incompatible in terms of opinions, demanding that compromises be made. We need to keep doing that. And the best way to do that right now to make us feel a little less helpless than I believe we all feel when being faced with a situation where we are told that the differences between ourselves and those who can help us feel as if there's the possibility of movement where those differences are so strong that we are left feeling stuck. The best thing that we can do is vote. Yeah, that's me taking a political position. We have to vote. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I wouldn't dare do that. But vote. Ask for an absentee ballot so that you could be safe. You don't have to stand in lines with other people who might not be wearing masks, who are not being safe, which is a truth, not an opinion. Ask for an absentee ballot soon. Now, ask for it soon. Right now, go online. Find out where you can get one. Send it in immediately. And vote. That is how there is potential for what seems irreconcilable to move to a position of potential compromise. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. I always appreciate it. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any other of my podcasts, please go to my website, which is drgaillewis.com. On my website, the page where you find the podcast, there is an area for making comments. On my website is also my office phone number and my email address and a page to schedule a phone or video consultation. I am currently only doing sessions via Zoom in the safest way that I have made possible. I am not doing in-person treatment because it is not safe. But if you should wish to contact me, I provided all of those means by which you may do so. Please take care of yourself, stay safe, and appreciate the people around you. Bye-bye.